I just hope that my marriage turns out as well as yours did. Bite your tongue. <laughs> Today on Shtetl, we have so-called talking about Jewish gangsters, Russian lit, and all things Odessa, and we celebrate La Saint-Jean, Quebec's national holiday with Guy Boutier, past president of the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste. So stay tuned, and you can download this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave from iTunes or at shtetlmontreal.com. Bonjour les amis, you're listening to the very sweet sounds of So-Called and Solomon, and we are on Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and today we have a pretty exciting show for you. There's a new Yiddish play on at the Siegel Center, and it's full of blood, criminals, shadow puppets, and amazing music. So stay tuned, we're going to be speaking with the talented hip-hop-making, playwriting, cartoon-drawing magician Josh Dolgan, a.k.a. So-Called. Uh, but first, if you're not from Quebec... You might not be aware of our most favorite Jewish holiday, La Saint-Jean. Every June 24th, folks take to the streets and parks for music and parades to celebrate Quebec's national holiday. And today we're talking with Guy Boutillier, a prominent figure in Quebec's nationalist movement. Guy Boutillier was born in 1939. He's a political scientist, lawyer, author, and was the president of the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste for five years from 1997 to 2003. He's a resident of Outremont, a neighborhood known in Montreal for the precarious balance between its Hasidic and French Canadian neighbors, and he knows so much more about Talmud and Torah than you'd expect from a past president of uh, the Société Saint-Jean, and he's here live in the CKUT studio. Monsieur Boutier, welcome to Shtetl on the shortwave. Thank you. Bonjour. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming. It's, such a, it's an honor to have you. So I'm going to start off by asking you, is there any connection between uh, what we were just talking about, Yiddish theater, and the community in Quebec? Is there a link? Uh, there is a very, there was a very direct uh, link for a very long time, up until uh, let's say the second part of uh, the 20th century. Uh, we, the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste, we were founded in 1834, and we built a, a building on Boulevard Saint-Laurent called Le Monument National. That was our place, that was our headquarters, etc., for about 75 years. And um, it was also the place where the Jewish uh, community of Montreal and around Montreal, I suppose, would come to uh, see some Yiddish theater. Uh, the Monument National was the, the heart 
of La Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste, but it was also the heart of Yiddish theatre uh, here in Montreal. And it was quite, uh, uh, quite active. There's been uh, uh, Yiddish theatre for uh, years. I know from the very early uh, years of the 20th century until after the Second World War. So that was, there was one point of connection there. And we were, we were close enough that when the leaders of the uh, Jewish community of Quebec and Canada met in March 1919 to, uh, to found the Canadian Congress, Canadian Jewish Congress, mm -hmm. they met in our offices. Amazing. They, they spent a weekend discussing, preparing for mm -hmm. the thing, and that was done right, right with us, if That's I could say. That's interesting. That's very interesting. It's interesting to know because the, the, um, the story has not always been um, uh, without, uh, let's say, clouds right. uh, between the Jewish community and Quebec nationalism and La Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste in particular. But why not look at the uh, brighter side of things, at the sunny side of the street? And <laughs> on that side of the street, you see all these things that I've just mentioned and that people don't know. I'm sure most people don't know. I'm sure very, very few people know in the uh, Jewish community of Montreal that the foundation of the, 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 um, the Congrès Juif was done right here, right, right in our offices. Okay, Monsieur Boutier, let me ask you a very basic question for listeners who are not from Quebec. Uh -huh. Can you tell us what is the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste? Yeah, it was uh, founded in 1834, so which makes it one of the oldest, I'd say, institution in, uh, you know, we're in North America, we're not in, uh, in, in Europe, Hun more, uh, 180 years of history is quite a lot. And... Um, That was founded in those years uh, where Quebec was not uh, named Quebec, but was named Lower Canada. And when uh, Lower Canada was uh, preparing to um, challenge the political situation, the political institutions that were set, that had been set by the British, uh, by the British Empire, that's what uh, ended into the uh, Le Mouvement des Patriotes, the, uh, the, 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 the Patriots' uh, rebel. Rebellion uh -huh. in 1837-1838, mm -hmm. which was founded on the idea that uh, uh, people living in Quebec, all people living in Quebec, no matter what their background was, all people in Quebec should, should have uh, an, an assembly, legislative assembly, and that assembly should be sovereign. The decision should be t taken here and not in London. That was one step in the, uh, in the way of uh, political independence. And uh, while we were doing this, he, while we were doing this in uh, Lower Canada, some people were doing it as well in uh, Upper Canada, which is now Ontario. So for those years, 1837, 1838, 1839, the, the two movements, the reform movement in Ontario, the patriotic movement, the movement des patriotes in Quebec, met. They were, you know, aiming in the same dire direction. And La Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste was founded in those years with exactly the same, the same purpose of um, expounding the, uh, the, the good news that uh, someday we will become an independent country. 
Okay. Well, I want to take things back a little bit and ask you, mm-hmm. what was it like for you growing up from a French-Canadian family when you were younger as a child here uh-huh. in Quebec? Uh-huh. I was born, as you said, in 1939. Uh, in those years, the war years and uh, the years right after, uh, living in Montreal, as I was, I'm from Montreal, um, I sort of, I suppose I, endif- I identified spontaneously as what you said, you called a French Canadian, not as a Quebecer. That notion did not exist. That uh, notion, that, that, uh, that name, um, came around a 1960. Um, up until, well, to, to, to make things uh, uh, clear, uh, up until 1960, we were French Canadians, as others were English Canadians, and so on. And uh, that made us a minority group, especially in Montreal, and the feeling of being a minority was put to us through the language question. Especially uh, in Montreal, in downtown Montreal, if you were walking, if you were eating, if you were working in downtown Montreal in those years, Montreal was an English city, was an English-speaking city. And uh, I remember very well um, going there. Uh, I knew some some English because my best friend and neighbor was a, uh, uh, an English guy, an English uh, boy, David Ward. And of course, we, we were always together. So I Maybe he didn't pick up any French because that was the way it was then. But I picked up as much English as I could, but still, it wasn't my language. And I remember, this is an anecdote, but maybe like many anecdotes, it, it, sells, it tells a lot. Uh, one day, I, w- I was, what, six, seven, eight years old? My mother said, I'm going downtown um, to, to do some shopping. Uh, come with me. So, which I did. And all of a sudden, on the way to uh, Morgan's and Eaton's and those places, she started to speak in English to me, which she never did. And uh, I wondered why, and I asked her later on. And uh, she said, well, it was just to prepare. Uh, At Eaton's and at Morgan's, you have to speak English. And you're not really, you don't feel anyway, you don't feel welcome if they see that you're French. And uh, so we felt as a minority and um, not very uh, at ease uh, with that, a bit shy. Um, Some people were almost humiliated. The situation, the the, the history that was ours, that still is in a way, made us in a, such a situation that we weren't, uh, we felt that w- we weren't mastering out, well, I'll, I'll use a phrase that became very important politically speaking, we weren't the masters in this house. Maître chez nous. And uh, mm. the independence movement, the sovereigntist movement, call it, some people call it this or that, the indep- I prefer this, the independence movement uh, was an answer to that. Um, we will transform ourselves into a majority. We will no longer be a minority. And that will change the, the whole dynamics. And especially, especially, it will change the dynamic vis-à-vis the uh, new groups, the immigrant groups that come. Uh, the immigrants that came understood that they were in North America, that they were 
within the British Empire. Canada was a British uh, country, still is in a way. And it was an English-speaking country, hugely English, majority English even in, in the heart of Montreal. So they went spontaneously to the English language. They didn't even choose it. They, they adhered to it spontaneously, as people do when they go to any country. You speak the language of the country. You try to learn it, and you send your kids to the schools of that to prepare them to live a normal life of a second-generation immigrant. And this was not done. So we decided to, that we wanted to change the rules so that we would connect with all those new groups that were bringing us the world. So before the Quiet Revolution in the 1970s, there was a sense of humiliation for French-speaking Quebecers. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't even the term. This is news to me, and I find it really interesting because I'm not, I I need to polish up on my history, Uh but the term Quebecois or Quebecer Uh is a relatively new term. Yeah, it was. A very powerful term, and people are constantly talking about, well, are you... Are you Quebecois? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you mm-hmm. and and if they ask somebody like me, are you Quebecois? The answer in their minds is no. Yeah, um, uh, you're right. I think you're right. Um, I must say the thing: the, the purpose of changing from <clears throat> French Canadian to Quebecois was precisely that to have a, de- a definition that would be shared by everyone. Uh, on living on the in this in this society on this territory, um, and it worked to 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 an, an extent uh, because some people of very different backgrounds, uh, immigrants or I, I would rather say uh, children of immigrants, identify totally as Quebecois. And you can see it in the street, you will see it in the metro, you will hear it on the, the waves and so on, that you have, you have people who obviously are not, uh, you know, from, from this part of the, of the planet, of this, of this they were not, you know, their forefathers weren't here. They're new, more relatively new newcomers. And uh, they totally, they're totally Quebecois in the way they speak, in the way they act. They speak French, I would say, uh, not as they speak in, in Paris or in Brussels. They speak French the way we, French is spoken in, uh, in certain parts of Montreal. So which means that uh, they, are, they adhere, they are identified. And there are very many people, if you look at our cultural life, uh, 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 singers, actors, even a minister. The, today, the Minister of Cultural Affairs, Maka Koto, so an important figure on the cultural uh, uh, domain in the, field, in, the culture, in the field of culture, cultural affairs, Makakodo is from Africa. And he's a... Oh my God, there is so and, much. Uh, so, and he's a Quebecois. Yeah. And nobody mm-hmm. uh, uh, doubts that. Nobody challenges the, that fact. And uh, that is very promising for the future. Okay, there are so many things that I want to ask you about. It's crazy. I hope you'll come back on the show because there's too much to talk about. <laughs> I want, it, uh, what's coming to mind is is Pauline Marois' uh, secular charter uh-huh. and, and the controversies over that. I mean, we're talking about yeah. celebrating Saint-Jean-Baptiste, Quebec's national holiday. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, a, a Christian saint, the name of the mm-hmm. national holiday. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. There was just recently the whole controversy over banning the turban on the mm-hmm. soccer field in Quebec. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm yeah, curious to be. know all your thoughts on that. Yeah. But seeing as this time. is, yeah, <laughs> shtetl, <laughs> Uh-huh. And I know you're fluent in Yiddish. Oh. 
Whoop! Don't repeat that on the air. No, okay. <laughs> well, how is your Yiddish? What's this? How is your Yiddish? Oh, I pick up a few words that I wouldn't want to to, uh, to repeat on this because I, you know, as you know, I'm I I, I was almost going to say I'm living amongst uh, uh, Jewish uh, within the Jewish community uh, amongst Jews. I have many friends now that are Jewish. I go to a synagogue, to a Chabad synagogue, and I've been doing that for over four years now. So um, every Uh, morning four or five times a week I walk into the synagogue and I study with with sometimes I I do some davening okay okay is that <laughs> Dav- all right davening, I yeah. do some davening uh, with them uh, most of the time I do some studying of yesterday we had a, a class of Talmud um, every every week we study the Parsha of the week and so on and uh, I'm very I'm, I'm involved uh, intellectually uh, spiritually And socially, they have become my friends. Uh, and uh, this, I know, of course, the, 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 when we're together, we speak, I'd say, generally English, sometimes French, because there are a few Frenchmen from France, or um, Jewish uh, Jews from Morocco who mm-hmm. speak French. So some of the conversations, some of the debates uh, are sometimes in, in French, most of the time in English. They're, they're never done in Yiddish, except that sometimes one guy, or not always guys, but sometimes one guy will throw a word, or oh, Michigash, or a few others. Um, <laughs> I have a collection at home, but I didn't bring it so because I didn't want to be tempted to, to say these you words. You have a good accent, though. And, um, you shouldn't hold back. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, as you know, talking about uh, uh, Yiddish, mm-hmm. uh, learning, speaking uh, Yiddish, there's a, f- a fellow here in Quebec. I'm saying this for the people from outside of Montreal because I think it's well known here in Montreal. Um, a colleague of mine, Pierre Antil. Mm-hmm. Pierre Antil uh, has become a specialist of the Yiddish language. He uh, of the Jewish community. He's a t- uh, professor, a professor of anthropology or sociology. Studied in New York, and he teaches. He taught in um, in Ottawa. Now he's in Montreal, and he's published quite a few books on the Yiddish on the Yiddish society. Uh, what was the uh, Yiddish society of? Um, of Montreal, and uh, he's a good guide, guy and a good guide to uh, helping uh, Quebecers uh, understand more about the background. Uh, you know, uh, we live, that's one of the perhaps um, not brightest, uh, 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 not brighter, brightest spots of, of life here in Montreal. We have groups where we're living uh, next door to each other almost up uh, across the street and we don't, we don't talk to each other. Not that it's hostile. It seems to be indifference. People seem to be indifferent. Uh, there we've, in Montreal, there's been uh, pretty important in numbers and so on, uh, pretty important uh, Jewish community since, let's say to simplify things, 1880, when the, the important immigration came from Russia and so on. So there's been this this um, community uh, that has been here, uh, do I say with us or amongst us, <laughs> that has been here, and most of the time... Uh, People are not interested in, in wanting to know more. 
And I am interested. I've always been interested. Um, well, let me ask you a question. We're going to have to take a break. Yeah. Um, but so before the break, I just wanted to ask you, what type of role did you play? Because I think this was an important part of your mandate when you were president for five yeah. years of the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was your role um, as the head of this nationalist organization yeah. in connecting with a cultural community like the Jewish community? Trying to do some reach, uh, re reaching out mm -hmm. uh, to different communities. The Haitian, which was easy because they were all French-speaking. Greek people, who was not always that easy, but it, it came, it became, the ball was rolling. Mm -hmm. And um, I was more interested because I'd studied law many, many centuries ago at McGill <laughs> when there were already quite a few Jewish boys. Uh, so I was, in, I was interested in that, uh, in that group, um, if only, and not only that, but if only, because they have, the Jewish people, have their own national history. And, and they were successful uh, in establishing their own country. I remember in 1961, I was at McGill, and uh, there was this, became my very close friend. He's the one who brought me to Chabad. He uh, was a Jewish Zionist. And of course, he was always talking about Israel and so on. And he was proud. And he was, even his, his Jewish confrères were sort of uh, shy to, 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 to speak as strongly as he was. And I was listening to him. And I was, uh, I was happy for him. I was happy for him that he was so proud of, of that great success. And uh, that helped me, convince me to say, well, maybe I should do the same thing and, and start working for the cause of Quebec. Oh, my goodness. So much to talk about. So rich comparing Quebec nationalism to Zionism. Oh, we could go on forever, but we have to take a break. <laughs> yeah, okay. Bonne fête nationale. Bonne fête nationale. But we're going to come back with Guy Boutier on Shtetl on the Shortway. We're going to take a quick uh, break for an ad and some music, and we'll be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave. Je pars au vin et son souffle me libère Je me fous de la poussière Le beat en dedans et la tête dans les airs Le cœur par le chignon du cou Marcher sans savoir où aller en suivant Toute pleine de trous, aller prendre un bail et l'échapper, en profiter comme tu me l'as montré. Ouvrir la fenêtre juste un peu. Je pars au vin et son souffle me libère 
We're back on Stadel on the Shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM, and we're listening to Les Sœurs Boulet. They come from Gaspésie, and they're based here in Montreal, and they're going to be playing at Parc Laurier for uh, the festivities of Saint-Jean-Baptiste this Monday. And we're very lucky to have in the studio with us Guy Boutillier, who is the past president of the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste. We could be talking for hours and hours. There's so much to cover, and I think... If he agrees, we'll have him back on Shtetl on the shortwave. So we don't have much time because we, we're going to get to so-called very soon. But I wanted to ask one or two more quick questions. Mm-hmm. So it's easy. Quick you can questions add- or quick answers? Well, I guess, I, I guess I'm <laughs> trying to hint the, qu- at the, the answers that should be quick. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to give quick answers to these things. So I'm sorry and thank mm-hmm. you for making the effort. Um, I wanted to, to ask you... How do you feel about the assumption or stereotype or that... Québécois society, that the nationalist mu- movement, that Québécois culture is anti-Semitic. Yeah, of course, uh, it, it hurts me as a, as a human being. It hurts me uh, as, a, as a political uh, being uh, striving to have a, an independent uh, country. Um, and um, I, I don't think you can say that an entire... It's wrong to... to, to to, to claim that an entire uh, nation, an entire country, an entire society, an entire history is anti-Semitic. There have been certainly anti-Semitic events, uh, certain anti-Semitic uh, persons. Um, I must say that the, uh, let's say, the past 20 or 30 years of uh, fighting between the Federalists and the Somatists didn't help because the... Uh, Federalists were only too prone in trying to uh, stress the fact that uh, they would take an incident, they would blow it up, and uh, sometimes it, it would be done um, in a, a, wrongly. It would be a simple uh, lie, pure lie. Remember in 76, 77, the Parti Québécois um, had a song which was to become their song. And it was branded as a, as a Nazi song by some people, only because in that song there was the word demain, there was the word tomorrow, and in an infamous uh, Nazi song there was the word morgen, tomorrow. And, you know, people's association of ideas say, this is, a, this is a, not only an anti-Semitic, this is a Nazi song. And uh, this is very unjust. Of course, of course, it's not only unjust; it's a plain lie. And uh, important people—I won't say who—important people, um, you know, spread that idea. And um, that's not healthy for for anyone. The first victims of this accusation that uh, Quebecois uh, are uh, anti-Semites are the, the that part is that part of the Jewish community of Montreal who are rescued from, who were, re- well, who are uh, survivors of the Second World War. Just to imply that that movement is uh, anti-Semitic hurts terribly. I mean, the, you, if, you're, if you're a survivor, I suppose, if you're a survivor, you, you stop thinking, you stop being rational. If someone that you trust tells you that that other guy is an anti-Semite, you became you, you became wild. You become wild, and you don't want to have to, anything to do with Meaning it. Meaning that you're you're afraid. You feel that you're in danger. What? That there's an association. You're saying that survivors to Montreal were susceptible, feeling that they were in danger for their lives yeah, because sure. they were living amongst sure. a, an anti-Semitic yeah. Yeah. Nazi culture. Yeah. Have you ever been accused of being anti-Semitic? 
Hmm. Oh, I will tell you what. Uh, one day, going down to, uh, to my office at Societe Saint-Baptiste, I didn't have my car, so I took the bus. Um, and uh, I was in the bus there at 8.30 in the morning. There was a gentleman who uh, went uh, past by me. I was in the, in the aisle, passed by me. And what did he say? Heil Hitler. What does that mean? He was saying, he recognized me because, you know, I, I suppose I had a noticeable face. And uh, um, he said, Heil Hitler, which is, you're an anti-Semite. And what do you do when, when something like that happens? I didn't say a word because if I start, start to argue with him, they, he would say, well, you see what I mean? These guys are crazy. And uh, so this, if you ask me, were you ever, I would say this was, uh, this was an incident where, uh, where I suppose that was the t that type of accusation. But otherwise, no. And there's a general thing about the Quebec society being anti-Semitic. As a sort of, as if it was in the DNA, as if it was in the DNA. Well, not just anti-Semitic. The stereotype is that Quebec society is xenophobic also, generally speaking. But just going to the Jewish, if, uh, it's a Jewish friend who, who brought that uh, point to me. I remember in 1962 or 1963, already uh, these things were flying around. Then if the, the society of Quebec is so anti-Semitic, How do you explain the great success of the Jewish community in Montreal? Because I think it, Montre the Montreal Jewish community is one of the important Jewish communities in the world. I was in Israel a few years ago, and when, when we, we, we were a group, uh, invited and so on, and when we said that we were from Montreal, they were, very, they were very happy because they said, oh, the Jewish people in Montreal is very helpful. I remember in Beersheba, they, they, they built the, the, the hospital in Beersheba. Of course, when we visited the hospital, they said, oh, this is a great community, and this is a great city. Well, I prefer to look at it this way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's people who would disagree with you, yeah, but sure. that's fine. I hope so. <laughs> It's, you're, you're the guest yeah. and you're the one who's, who's sharing your point of view, and I, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, just because a uh, community is strong doesn't mean that it's because, mm -hmm. because um, they were welcomed. It might be they were thriving despite the situation, yeah. but at the same time, you're right. The Jewish community in Montreal has thrived, and, and um, that's something to celebrate here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to ask you one last question um, mm -hmm. before I wish you a joyeux Saint-Jean. Mm -hmm. why, why are you so interested in studying Jewish texts like the Torah and, and the Talmud and Tanya? And what, what, like, what is the interest for you? What does it give you? Well, the Torah is, is a book that I, uh, well, I studied the Bible when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm going to the source. It's one way for me to go to the source. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, I'll, if we look at these things from the religious point of view, and not only from the uh, social or ethnic point of view, the, the Jewish people are the, the, the grands frères, the elder, older brothers of the Christians. And that's not for me. That's by... Um, This, this was stressed by, do you remember Pope uh, um, John XXIII? He says, you should respect, we must, well, not we should, we must respect the Jews, they are our elder brothers. So that's one part of an answer okay. to a long question. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Guy Boutier. I brought some cheskis from our neighborhood that you can mm. have after the show. Okay. Um, and I hope that we can come back and talk. I'd, I'd really like to talk to you more about okay. what it's like for you living in Outremont, and there's so much happening mm -hmm. there. So I really do appreciate you coming on to Stadel. Thank you. 
It's interesting that you talk about the community. The uh, the last 24th of June, yeah. uh, the Fête Nationale of last year, I spent with the Hasidic community of uh, Boisbriand, in to the Tosh community. I spent the whole day with them. Wow. <laughs> they invited me. They were nice. Wow. Yeah. I've never been to Boisbriand with the Tosh community. next time. Will you? <laughs> that would be an interesting field trip. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a break and listen to some music by Daniel Isaiah Schachter. He's um, a Jewish boy from Montreal. And I think this is a lovely and appropriate song to segue um, from Monsieur Boutillier to, uh, to our, next, uh, our next guest, so-called. J'habite un pays qui n'a pas de frontières. Rien à défendre, aucune vérité, ni de récit de victoire à chanter. Pas de drapeau qui tangue, que des draps de la peau, plusieurs langues pour embrasser mes mots. Je traverse mes vents. All right, we're back on Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and we uh, are having quite an eclectic show today. We just spoke with Guy Boutier, and now we're going to be hearing from Josh Dolgan, a.k.a. So-Called, and uh, everybody in Montreal. We, we're all big fans of So-Called, and he's constantly creating new and uh, innovative and different and uh, eclectic work whether it's cartoons or whether it's like traditional Jewish music or theater, and he never ceases to amaze. So um, this is a clip where he's going to tell us about uh, the play that's happening now at the Siegel Center of Montreal. It's called Tales from Odessa, and we'll be back with more. And uh, this is Josh Dolgan. <laughs> Well, where does this play take place? This play takes place in uh, the Siegel Center. 
in Montreal. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, the story was written by Isaac Babel. That is correct. And where does the story take place? The story takes place in Odessa. So, Odessa is in Ukraine. It's on the Black Sea. Yes, so I went to Odessa three times uh, so far. Uh, the first time was with my parents to visit the sort of uh, place that my grandparents came from, which is on my grandmother's side, Odessa actually proper. These Blanksteins come from Odessa. And then Joe Dolgan, my dad's dad, was born in Dnepropetrovsk, Zaporo- near Zaporozhye, uh, which is not too far from Odessa. So that was the first time I went. Second time I went was on this Klezmer cruise. We organized this sort of Yiddish culture festival that was on a boat and went from Kiev to Odessa uh, with like 200 people on board and blah blah blah. It's a long story. I'll tell you about it another day. And then the third time I went to Odessa was after I knew I was writing this show. Every time I go, I love it. It's just, it's romantic. It's kind of dilapidated. I don't know. I didn't really talk. I don't talk to people there because I don't speak Russian. Um, so I just kind of wandered around by myself and just kind of soaked in the atmosphere. The The area that, that the stories are set in is called Moldavanka. And it's still, it's still there, this area. And it's really kind of a depressed part of town. And I guess it was pretty hardcore depressed when Isaac Babel uh, set his stories there of these Jewish gangsters. So what was it like, the Odessa that Isaac Babel was describing? Who? Um, well, for one thing, it was very Jewish, maybe as much as 50% Jewish population. Uh, but Odessa was this sort of port city, and so it had, and it's on this Black Sea, so it's like kind of a melting pot. So, I mean, there's Turks and and Russians and probably people from Africa and the Middle East and whatever, Christians, Arabs, Jews, uh, urban. There was the sort of high culture too. There was like a fancy theater and symphony and there was great writers living there and probably cafe kind of vibe too. It's, it's, it looks, it feels a lot like sort of Vienna or Budapest or something from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but kind of on the edge of like almost the Orient and of, you know, kind of the East, you know, it's East meeting West and, and old meeting new and Jewish meeting Christian and Muslim. And it's like a real, real mushed up place. Kind of like Montreal a little bit. Totally. Moldovanka, Montreal. That's it. Um, so the main character in uh, Tales of Odessa, what's his, what's his name and what was he getting up to? So Isaac Babel... <laughs> wrote these stories um, basically this sort of whole sort of series of tales about Jewish gangsters in Odessa and the king of the Jewish gangsters Benya Crick now Benya Crick is based on a historical figure some some actual sort of hood from Moldovanka I can't remember his name Chapatnik or something I can't remember his his name the real guy and then the stories tell like how he becomes the king and sort of his adventures and sort of describes his family life sort of at the eve of the Russian Revolution. It's kind of set in 1917. Do you relate at all to this character? Do I relate? Just in that he says things about passion and how passion holds sway in this world. And I think I really believe that. Like if you care about something and if you 
work towards a goal, then you can achieve kind of whatever you want. So, I, yeah, I do kind of identify with him in that way. Also, just his sort of ability to work with people. <laughs> but the sort of violent aspect, I don't really condone. But I guess I've always been interested in gangsters and in sort of criminal ways. And in sort of, I mean, even music is sort of, a, I feel, is a sort of criminal way to make a living. Really? How so? I don't know. It's just kind of, it's not just a job where you show up in a, in a place and you know what you're doing and you just do it. It's kind of always a hustle. You're kind of always trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and get a gig. <laughs> and then you're zipping all over the place and like kind of showing up and like pretending that you're entertaining people. I mean, you are, but it's like, it's a, sh it's all a, sh it's an act and it's kind of dishonest maybe, you know, and there's some, I don't know, there's something dishonest about theater and about, about entertainment. And so that I guess maybe I do identify with the criminal element in that way. Um, Have you heard of Isaac Babel before? Never heard of him. Okay. Is he somebody that you think more Jewish people should read? Or any people should read? No, only Jews should read him. <laughs> um, I, you know, in Russia, he's super famous. He's a towering figure of Russian letters. He's a total legend of Soviet Russian literature. And here, he's lesser known. But of course, people should know about Isaac Babel. I mean, he's one of the great writers of all time. So... If this show has that effect to like make people curious about Isaac Babel and not just his writing but his life, he had a really interesting. Can you life. tell me a bit about his life? I'm curious. A little bit. I mean, it, uh, it's easier if everybody just runs to their Wikipedia, Wikipedia and looks him up. But in a nutshell, he was, you know, he was born sort of in Moldavanka, uh, in Odessa, and grew up there. Um, and started writing very young and and sort of made a name for himself when he was a young man and he did some traveling to like Paris and stuff had sort of interesting love lives had a couple wives I think going at the same time and had different kids on from different 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 families um, and eventually I mean eventually he got in trouble <clears throat> with Stalin for his like for not writing enough and, and like, he was an official writer, you know, for the Soviet Empire, but, like, he wasn't, he wasn't producing. So he got in trouble. He made this speech about how his new art form was silence or something. And, and uh, anyway, he got in trouble with the KGB and with Stalin and basically disappeared. But basically for 20 years, they pretended that he was still alive in some work camp in Siberia, uh, just as a prisoner. But really, they killed him when they'd arrested him in 1938 or 1940 he was assassinated and a lot of his writings went missing with him he had new works that he that he was he was he was trying to finish and i mean i'm still holding out hope that somewhere in some archive are the papers are, are isaac babel's sort of unpublished works but it's this is this is like a pretty pretty dark world that he that he paints uh, it's violent, it's sexual, it's it's adult material, it's not, not really for kids. Violent, sexual, not really for kids. Uh, I saw the play last night, and uh, I'd, I'd have to say it was amazing. Really, really um, a rich, rich performance, and uh, I recommend people go check it out. It's something special at the Siegel Center. I'm going to play some music from uh, Jeff Berner. It's a CD called The Victory Party that 
Josh Dolgan actually produced. And this song is about Laughing Jackie the Pimp. And I'm pretty sure it's based on a similar type of character as the one that they're talking about in the Tales from Odessa. So take a listen and we'll be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave in just a minute. Laughing Jackie smiled so sweet He ran the girls who worked our street They worked all day and night to put Diamond cufflinks on his shirt The silver-handled walking stick Jackie never missed a trick Laughing Jackie Handsome in his tailored suit Laughing Jackie Always in a pleasant mood Jackie never mad when a cutie stashed a wad. See his cane, it spins and twirls, laughing as he beats the girls. If he got a broken one, there's always more where that came from. Laughing Jackie, the bus station runaways. Laughing Jackie, they all wound up at Jackie's place. That's a trick that Jackie missed. Shuttle on the shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM. And uh, I'm going to play this next clip uh, where Josh talks about puppets. So when Paul Flicker, who is the artistic director of the Siegel Center, uh, he saw the season. And I hope you'll play a song from the season in this show at this point. Perhaps it's a good moment to perhaps. I have my favorite. I'll play it. Okay, good. Thank you. What's your favorite? I'm not going to tell you because you'll be tuning in. The whole cast will be right. Sure, of course they will. You're always promoting Shtetl everywhere, right? You know, I sort of do. I tell people about it. I mean, I think it's what you're doing is really awesome, okay? I'm not just saying that to try to bed you and, and have a super uh, Jewish p- super child with you. I'm not trying to do that. I still don't know why you don't want that. Well, for one thing, I am gay. So? Okay, anyway, we'll, I talk, might be gay we'll too. talk after the show, after after your show, <laughs> after Gian Gomeshi's show is over. Okay, <clears throat> you are Gian Gomeshi, right? <laughs> you know, something really meaningful happened today, and I'm going to tell you about Stop it. Stop it. Be, be nice. <laughs> okay. I love Gian Gomeshi. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so, so Paul Flicker saw it, and he came up to me and he said, hey, that was pretty cool. You want to make a show for us uh, for the Dora Wasserman Yiddish Theater? I said damn rights I do please bring it on he said okay how's uh, June 
16th, 2013. I said, whoa, that seems like a long way away, but not that long. So I have to write a whole musical by then. Fair enough. I'll do it. <clears throat> what do you want to do? He asked. I said, how about uh, Tales from Odessa by Isaac Babel? He said, never heard of it. Send me the stories. I did. He said, oh, this is cool. Jewish Gangsters, 1917. Russian author. Uh, it's It's a world... You know, he wrote these stories in Russian, but he was probably lived in Yiddish. It makes sense to have this story happening in Yiddish on stage. So, to me, that's important. I mean, it's a, it's an audience that probably doesn't speak Yiddish a lot, and it's a cast that doesn't speak Yiddish. So there's better be a good reason why we're doing this story in Yiddish. So that's great. What was I answering? I was answering... I had asked about the puppets. Yes, yeah, so the... the puppets. So he's like, will there be puppets? Because he's sort of a fan of puppets. I said, sure. And I thought for a moment... I would have little fuzzy Muppety puppets, the ones that I make. And it would be like Isaac Babel's Odessa stories with fuzzy little puppets. It doesn't quite work, okay? So then I started thinking, okay, what is the story about? It's about, you know, it's about good and evil, and it's about uh, shadows and light. It's about, like, candles and fire and lightning and darkness. Okay, it's about shadows. Well, I happen to know this brilliant designer of shadow puppets, Clea Miniker. So I said, I mean, so Paul was like, who do you want to work with? So he basically let me put together the team. So I, I got my choreographers that I worked with on the season. Um, I Sasha Kleinplatz? Sasha, yeah, damn right. I love her. Me too. And Andrew Tay, who is yeah. her partner. Uh, Sasha Kleinplatz and Andrew Tay are like the best Jew of the year. Right on. <laughs> I think so too, and there's I mean, and she's they're young and up and coming and talented and passionate and they're part of my world. So it's like I wanted to bring in as many people from my world as I could. Um, it's like this is a whole new kind of it's a new scene at the Siegel Center and at the the Dora Wasserman. Do you Yiddish feel theater. like it's a bit of a departure from from the Yiddish theater of the past? I mean, for sure. Even though I'm sort of a traditionalist and I'm like into old school things, like the band that I have is definitely the most authentic sort of Eastern European band that has ever probably played in the Yiddish theater in the past 20 years, you know? So you're saying there's a Moldovan. Yeah. There's a, is there anything else you want to tell me that we haven't talked about or do you think we covered it? I'm pretty sure people are enticed. Well, just uh, what, like just the the music element. Yeah. So it's not gonna. There's not gonna be any like rapping or DJ mixing. Not it's, at all. It's okay. Yeah, I didn't want to write fake Jewish music or fake Odessa music. I just wanted to write catchy tunes. So <clears throat> the band is really legitimate, like what you maybe would have heard in Odessa in 1917. There's a there's this instrument called the cymbalom, which is like a big hammered dulcimer it's sort of like a piano that's open and that you hit with sticks uh and that's like the most traditional jewish instrument um so so there's this guy from from moldova well and he lived in romania as well so he's playing cymbalom i mean montreal has all these immigrants you know has all these people from all over the world that are masters of of their arts and here i mean this cymbalom guy Nikolai, he was like, he was in the, he like led orchestras and stuff in Romania. And here he's a security guard, you know, but he's an insanely virtuosic, amazing musician. So, so we got him, um, this amazing Moldovan, real Roma, gypsy accordionist, Sergio Popa, who you must know. Um, uh, there's this amazing uh, Kaval player from Bulgaria, uh, from the band Solet Cigan. Um, so, okay, and then there's like, 
two sort of Jewish classical musicians in the band, Pemi Paul on the violin and Reuven Rothman playing the upright bass. And they're from Montreal. And then Bucky Wheaton, who's an amazing sort of hipster slash jazz slash everything drummer. Um, so he's like, he plays the role of the white guy, of the like, of the honky, of the goy, if you will. <laughs> and he's, he's the drummer. Uh, and then I wanted there to be a like absolutely authentic Jewish voice in the band. Because, you know, it's Jewish music isn't quite Roma music. It isn't quite Ukrainian folk music or Romanian or whatever, all those things I just named. It's like it was its own style. So that you can't fake that style. And I wanted I didn't want someone just playing parts. So I had to invite a ringer from New York City, uh, Michael Winograd, who is like one of the, you know, primo sort of uh, experts in real legitimately authentic uh, klezmer music. He plays the clarinet, and he's like grown up with this with that music. He's played it since he was five years old. So that that band playing these sort of tunes that I wrote, it comes out sounding like Odessa somehow. All right, so you're back on Shadow on the Shortwave, and that was Josh talking about all the amazing uh, artisans and musicians and people who are involved in Tales from Odessa that's happening at the Siegel Center right now. And that brings us to the end of Shtetl on the Shortwave today. Happy Saint-Jean. And we're going to go out with one of the songs from, not from Tales from Odessa, but from Josh's other musical, The Season. I think it kind of fits with today's show. And uh, it's, uh, The Season is about a hunter and um, the animals and puppets that he's hunting during the season. And uh, this is one of the songs, so. Well, you're born. Then you die And you live for a while in between And you work and try To understand what does it all mean Give and you take We all know the moves through the dance And who knows how we learn That we all just get one chance Grow with the seasons, change with the seasons, looking for reasons, fighting few. Live through the seasons, cry through the seasons, looking for reasons, making Such a beautiful time of year. I've got plenty of bullets, I've got my gun, so tell me, where did they go? So you win or you lose, and you try not to get yourself killed. If you're lucky, you love, and your pleasure sometimes fulfill. So you're born and you die, and getting there. All the fun You make do Or make don't To live on to the next season Yum da da di do di day tell it Yum da da di do di yum da di da Hum da da di da di dum da di day Dum da da di da di dum 
Tuddle, 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 tuddle